This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Morris inside. Jokic. Jokic. 23. Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports. And I know I say this a lot, but seriously, remove all of the excitement that I've had for other pods. This podcast that I got to do with Jonathan Jarks of The Ringer was one of the most interesting podcasts I've had a chance to do. We talked about all kinds of different things. It was really like a stream of consciousness, Paul, but we were just talking hoops. And what's interesting about Jonathan Jarks is that he covered the Dallas Mavericks and still does very closely. And he was around for all of the Dirk Nowitzki years, all the Steve Nash years, all the Michael Finley years and all of that. Why that is unique and why that is so revealing is that there are a lot of comparisons and parallels that exist from not just that Mavericks team to the Nuggets team, but Jokic and Dirk in particular, as well as other members of the roster. We talked extensively about what we can learn from both teams in terms of a macro NBA sense. We talked about roster building. We talked about Michael Malone's job as a head coach and how we can progress more and more. We talked about Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, how they can coexist, how each of them have done individually, um, and just so many other things. It was really one of the most enjoyable podcasts I've had a chance to do. So make sure you check out everything he does over on The Ringer. He's blogging every morning about the NBA games that came out the night before. He's also doing tons of good podcast work. You'll hear him talk about that at the very end of the next segment after I tell you about DoorDash, but really, this was a very informative episode, not just for the playoffs now, but for looking at this Nuggets team as a whole down the line. So this was a much more broad scope podcast despite it being in the middle of the playoffs, but I really think there's a lot to take away from this one. So thank you to Jonathan Jarks of The Ringer for coming on the show and giving me the time of day to talk about this. And also thank you to all all of our sponsors, DoorDash, to NFLSundayTicket.tv, to Bet Online, and also make sure you're checking out Tight End One, the podcast that is now out by from Greg Olson on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Awesome stuff on that as well. But we're gonna take our first quick break. I'm gonna tell you about DoorDash, and we're gonna come back on the other end with my like 50 minute conversation with Jonathan Jarks about everything related to the Nuggets and Mavericks and how they connect together. You've been counting on restaurants your entire life, especially if you're like me and you just happen to love food. Now, those same restaurants are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with new contactless delivery drop-off settings. Choose your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle and Wendy's and the Cheesecake Factory, as well as many of your favorite local restaurants who are also on DoorDash for delivery as well. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and boom, your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and any Blue Wire podcast can get $5 off and zero delivery fees for their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter promo code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash.
Welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. I am so happy to have my good friend, Jonathan Jarks of The Ringer on the show. It's been so long since we've spoken. Probably since Nuggets training camp going back, not this year, but the year before, right? Was that I the last? Say it's summer league. I think I did see you at summer yeah, league. Summer league. Summer this league. this summer league was weird because like there weren't games for thirty hours, and then there was the Kawhi Paul George fiasco, and like I don't remember any of summer league from this past year. I mean, it feels like five years ago now. <laughs> it really point. does. It re- yeah. do you do you miss summer league? Because we'd be like basically getting for home sure. a couple weeks ago at this point. God, there's it's, just, it's good to network. It's good to see people. It'll be a long time before it's back. Probably two more years. Mm-hmm. You think? I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows? And who knows when it'll be? Like, with the, are they going to readjust yeah. how the season changes? We'll we'll have to figure all that out as we go. But the playoffs are here, and I can finally talk to you about the story that you wrote about how the Nuggets can build around Nikola Jokic, taking cues from the Dallas Mavericks teams and how they built around Dirk Nowitzki, and really comparing that to what we're seeing now. So before we get into that, though, let's just get your initial takeaways on the Nuggets first 11 playoff games because they went to seven obviously and they ended up winning against Utah and now here they are down 3-1 once again but this time to the Los Angeles Clippers from your perspective what have you been noticing what has stood out what are just some large takeaways that you have had from these 11 games so far I thought it's been especially this Clippers series I know it's gonna sound weird to say being down 3-1 but they've given them a good series I thought Mm -hmm. For the most part, it's been very impressive. I think you my biggest takeaway is just like you're seeing a changing of the guard. Like I think the Paul Millsap era is coming to a close one way or the other after the season. And I think now you're seeing it is crazy to think about like you've got five guys in the 26. So you got Jokic, Grant, Porter, Harris, Murray, right? Yeah. That's a really impressive young core. Like it's funny you compare them to the Jazz, right? The Jazz have Donovan Mitchell and a bunch of old guys. Yeah. Whereas Denver's guys are all aligned at the same timetable. I would say, I guess the big thing for me, seeing Jeremy Grant guard Kawhi has been very impressive. I know Simon based in Dallas. I'm like, man, it must have him in the Mavericks. I feel like he's made a lot of money this year. He's shooting threes pretty well, too, for the most part. Yeah, he's he great- like, well, I guess the great playoffs, maybe better say. You know, he's been a plus 40% three-point shooter all season long. Like, he's yeah. shown that he can be that pick-and-pop threat from the four position when you need him to be. And that's been really impressive. But the changing of the guard is something that is going to be so interesting because Paul Millsap, there isn't going to be much of a market for a aging backup power forward in this market. I wonder if he ends up coming back to Denver on, on a mid-level exception. Like a backup but, five? Yeah, maybe. I don't know you if he th- can... Isn't- isn't Plumley free too? Yes, Plumley will also be. I think Plumley or Millsap will get that taxpayer mid-level exception. That's kind of how I'm envisioning that. Do you think they out. would take of, of the two? That's a tough question. I think they would take Plumley because he can just he, do more on the court. He's younger. He's younger. Yeah. He provides backup center position. He can play the same style. Has proven that he can do it well. So those things feel more sustainable, which is insane for me to say out loud, actually, because like Paul Millsap is Paul Millsap. The fact that he is your thing. I was curious about Will Barton. What's happened with him? You think? So Will Barton is one uh, adored by Tim Connolly and Michael Moore. Yeah. He's the emotional heartbeat of the team. And we're seeing right now how important it is to have a third scorer who can put their head down and collapse a defense. Denver doesn't have that. Like Michael Porter can sometimes when he pops off, but we're seeing how important a guy like Will Barton is. I think we're going to see probably Will Barton potentially slide to the shooting guard role if we see Michael Porter Jr. start next year just to give them some more size. But I really so don't you're saying, know. Are you seeing Barton as a six-man, basically? I No, I think he would season. start at two. So who's not starting? Then? Gary. Harris? Yeah. I think if you're going to make that a trade, or, I, this is the thing. Gary Harris was one of the worst starters in all of basketball offensively to start this year. Under, he's had a good playoff run, though, since he's been back. I you, wonder, no, you don't think so? I think he's been really good. I think that yeah. he was the way, the reason that they shifted that Utah Jazz series. But he was he's, huge. All, he's always injured. Like, yeah. this is a guy who has had, I believe, 14 lower body injuries in 24 months now. Like, you can't have yeah. that kind of unsustainability on your team and expect him to always be able to start. And plus, if they're going to trade somebody, I think Gary's the one that makes the most sense for them. Yeah, but who do want, if you're all these injuries, right? How do you get a good value for guys that injured? I don't think you're going to get a good value for a trade anyway. Because you're teams dumping it? Kind of, yes, because I think they're going to need the cap space. This is also a Kroenke-owned team who does not like to pay deep into the tax, and who knows what this cap sheet looks like next year. So I've been trying to pencil in guys that could potentially be cap casualties, and I think Gary could potentially be one of them. Um, That's where he can make make sense. I'm thinking about it. Where? I guess last year. Yeah, I think he might make sense. I guess before I get into that, 
So if Barden's starting and Millsap's gone, I guess then like the leadership mantle has to be moved a little bit, right? If yes. Mel Millsap here, so you still have Barton. Who else? Can Nicola become that leader? Can Jamal become that leader? What's Let's get into this now more? because we were, I wanted to get to this when we talked about the team building part, but I don't yeah. think Nikola Jokic can ever be relied on to be that guy. He can be the on-court okay. X's and O's leader. He could be the guy telling people where to go and being vocal about schematics on the court. He can't be your emotional heartbeat. He can't be your motivator. He can't be the guy getting in people's grills. Despite the fact that he might have to be for Denver to get there, I, I don't that. think he so has what, that. What about Jamal then? So Jamal is the interesting one. He showed very little of this before, basically like right before the All-Star break and then all of all of a sudden he just realized he had to take on this leadership mantle and he took off and he became this guy that really rallied around and we saw it in series in the first series like there's no way Denver gets out of that series not just for without sure. Jamal for scoring sure. but without his leadership like he willed that team back yeah. into the playoffs so Jamal has a ways to go he's the guy you hope can take over that mantle but I wonder if this is going to end up being a thing where Denver needs an enforcer that doesn't play very much a Udonis Haslam type of a leader on their team just a wise sage guy who doesn't mind getting very very loud and in guys faces but still commands the respect of somebody who was that Millsap? you would he's hope so now? he's not a rah-rah guy he's not oh, a guy okay. who's like in your face he's not willing to be that level of a communicator or a leader in that realm so i don't think they have it on this roster and i think they're missing will barton particularly right now because will barton would be the one pulling michael porter jr to the side being like i'm just gonna say someone has got to be able to talk to him yes right. will would be the one because he did it all the way back in november when michael porter jr called out the team after the philly road trip for not giving him enough touches okay see i missed this what i didn't wasn't aware of what okay this? so this was the first stretch when Michael Porter Jr. originally got his real opportunity to show that he can do stuff. He had like so this his, is November. This is November. Yeah, he had just okay, had a couple, yeah. you know, loose showings of how talented he is. And afterwards, he had not gotten very many shots, didn't play in the second half, had played well in the game. So of course, reporters are like, "Hey, what happened? Why weren't you able to play?" And I can't remember the exact term, but he basically goes, I can't just get shots from myself if it's not being called for me. Virtually the same thing that he said in this game. Like, and this is the thing, schematically, he's not wrong. But going out as a rookie with his type of a, um, of a resume of already being this kind of a guy and then being like, listen, I need my shots. And then to do it in game four <laughs> after losing when you're down 3-1 as a rookie, I, I I, I don't know, but Will Bart would, would have been the one to grab the dude by the arm and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you I might be like right, but you can't do it this way. With Porter, he should preface everything he says by, first off, I don't give an F, just to be clear. I really don't care. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to just get my I'm coffee saying. all over my Yeti. <laughs> but no, you know, it's funny. So I did a story on Michael, I guess, around like New Year's. And I'm going to the media guys. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then I tell them what he told me about his injury. And the PR guy's like, he said that? I was <laughs> yes. like, yeah, he told me on the record. He's like, he did? It's like, he did. He's like, well, I guess he said it. All right, whatever. <laughs> this has happened multiple times now where, like, he said something and PRs had to like, get on the phone and be like, so about that quote you put out there, could I hear that <laughs> audio again real quick? Like, because he does. Like, he does kind of yeah. get the unfiltered chaotic mess in media interviews sometimes and i let's just get into the team building part can you build around a guy who thinks he has to be the guy like this is something so, okay really so i go go to look at it i was listening i was just I, this hurts my heart to say because i listened to jason tatum on jj reddick's pod he's on the ringer anymore so like i hate to say it but he's, <laughs> he's a great podcast yes so he's talking to tatum and tatum said flat out i did not want to go to boston three years ago Tatum said, if I went to Boston, they're already a conference finals team, what am I going to get my stuff going? But it worked out for him because they all got a bunch of injuries. He became the guy right away. It's all good, right? And if you're Michael Porter, you're seeing yourself as Jason Tatum, mm -hmm. right? You're seeing yourself. Jason Tatum is year three now, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Jason Tatum is year three. He's now going to start a top 10 player in the league, right? Superstar, max contract, face the franchise. Michael Porter's like, I got to catch up to Jason Tatum. That's who I'm supposed to be. So it's going to be hard for him to not be that guy. It's going to be, right? It's kind of like, it's just going to be very, very, it's going to be tricky. He's going to need his shots, going to need his touches because he's too good not to get them. Like you see what he does out there. He's right? a like incredible talent with the ball. It's in his absurd. Hands. 
even the Clippers at times couldn't handle him on offensive boards. He's a six ten wing who's getting boards and dunking on him. And I, I get it. I do get it. Why he wants? Why he is how? Why he is how he is? It's gonna be. That's what's thing about leadership. It's you're gonna really need a strong voice in the locker room to keep him under control a little bit. And the thing is, too, is he's always been this guy. Like, except for the literal 18 months he was injured, he has always yeah. been the guy on Sports Center, been the guy leading his team in touches, been the guy dribbling the ball okay, up the so court, even. I covered, I went to the McDonald's game when he was a senior. Mm-hmm. So this is like, I forget, like three years ago now or two years ago. Yeah, three and a half. Like tons of time. Yeah, so time doesn't long. exist when the so, world is ending, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the same class as DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. And Aiden just made some comment. I'm talking Aiden, by the way, Aiden is like that too. Aiden will say anything. Mm-hmm. Aiden was telling me, he's like, you know, when we've got a Kevin Durant type in our class, like Michael Porter, and that's just how they all think of him. He's a start- 6'11 guy who just strokes threes. Aiden just said it. He's like, yeah, he's a Kevin Durant. So like, that's how Porter's always been seen by his peers, mm-hmm. by himself his whole life. And he's and I, had- I think for Porter, he's like, I got to get back to that. Like, thinking of it too, like, so being a young guy, I remember I, I played basketball growing up, right? Yeah. I only had one serious injury. I sprayed my ankles after like a month. And when you, you're out for a month and you're like, I got to get back. Like you're like in a hurry all the time, right? Young guys are always in a hurry. They don't understand patience in the long term. I think for Porter, he's like desperate to get back to where he was because why wouldn't he be, right? He's 21. Is he 21 or 20? I don't know. He's 21. Know. Yeah. He's yeah, legally he's allowed to he go wants, party. <laughs> he wants to go back to where he was and he doesn't want anyone – getting i mean i think it'll be okay next year next year he'll start right i I assume so but at the same time if he's calling out the coaching staff as a rookie in in game four of the second round of the playoffs like that might change the discussion like you can't i don't think it does really i don't think it does michael malone is a particular old school coach though like michael malone does not play that like that stuff drives him mental he's like a state like a jeff gundy in that way like you don't go to the media about in like in-house issues that we can work on ourselves i mean he's gonna talk to porter about that for of sure. course but of course. i think we were talking about what next year training camp be like in i don't know january or something so it'll be a long way away from now yeah i just feel you got to start poor next year that's at least keep him somewhat pacified so he's he to get 20 points a game guaranteed yeah and he's a, he's a walking he's 2010 like that's how talented that's not even he is. a question yeah if he gets 32 to 34 minutes a night he will get you 2010 um but let's shift this to michael malone real quick because i've had a lot of discussions about okay michael porter has shown that he can help on defense look at how he is playing off ball and all these things i don't think there's any chance in hell porter does any of those small things if michael malone doesn't limit his minutes early in the season I think you're right yeah but at the same sure. time i was talking to jeff morton who who does local media and call Colorado, um, he asked me, would Porter have been re- more ready offensively and to fill this role if he had gotten the minutes early on in the regular season? And looking at both sides of the coin, I get both sides, but I think you need a coach like Malone to beat this into him, to force him to earn it. Is that kind of how you view it as well? It's tough because this is always a tough part about a rookie or second year or third year player on a contender. Because he's on a different timeline than the team. I think for Porter's career, it is best for him to have a coach like this who early on in his career installs fundamentals, holds him accountable, blah, 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 right? That's important for him personally, even if he don't see it. But if you're the team, you see what I'm saying? Yes. If you're the team and you want to win now – how do you balance that? That's a very tough balance. And that's what they've been trying either. to do. And Tim Conn, like I've spoken, yeah. like this is the thing, like no GM or president or executive of any kind who watches Michael Porter Jr. sit on the bench as much as he did in the, in the beginning of the season is happy. Like nobody, like they drafted yeah. the dude to play basketball. So like, of who's, course, it, who's Porter's agent? Porter's agent, I believe he's a CAA guy. I couldn't, I could be wrong. I'm trying to remember. And I don't quite remember off the top of my head. Um, I believe he's a well, CAA guy. Just be glad he's not a clutch guy because they <laughs> would not have tolerated that. <laughs> he might have already requested a trade out of Denver at this point if that, was, if that was the case. And he would probably want that to be the case. But regardless of that fact, Porter does have a chance to develop skills that he previously did not have. And I wonder how long 
can that last? Because Porter is so gifted offensively, he's going to very soon reach a point to where he is so good offensively, he no longer has to care about defense. And I'm so concerned that when they get to that point, that Malone won't even have a chance. And if you get to that point with Malone still trying to implement these fundamentals into him and he no longer cares, then you get to the point where there's a real rift. There is a real divide in that locker room. And it becomes not just coach player divides, but player player divides because some end up being on the coach's side of, okay, chill the hell out. We got to play team basketball here. And then you have the Porter side. So I, I don't know how that plays out either. Have you seen that in your years covering the league of how star players have kind of grown into this role too quickly and kind of almost eliminated the chance to be well-rounded? That's a great question. Let me think. That's a really, really good question. I feel like ultimately though, it's on the player, right? Like James Harden just never really got around to doing it. Yeah. It's just more about the player at a certain point. Though I do think there's some idea of like young guys want to get that second contract and they want to make all their numbers. And then like mid to late twenties, right? That's what's hard about it. So Porter's 21, like knock on wood, he's going to be healthy the rest of his career. Who knows about that? But like, if he's 21, then his prime is seven years away. Yeah. Okay. Like you're talking in seven years, if Michael Porter has a normal developmental track, he'll be locked in on defense. That's 2028. (laughs) You know, like. 2028 doesn't even feel like it can be real at this point. Like that's. Imagine 2028. Like it's just crazy. Man, and this is the thing, like, if the Nuggets can keep all these guys together until 2028, they have a very real chance to do something special because that just means that something worked and that they were willing to keep it together. But I I just don't know if Porter's ever going to be willing to be that guy if he ever gets anywhere near his offense. And I think think it's important to note, too, that it's not his fault for that. It's not. I think a good example. So, like, Oklahoma City, everyone always blasts them for trading Harden and obviously could have gotten more for that trade. But James Harden was not going to be a six man forever, right? It would be unfair to ask about of him, right? This is a guy who's like Hall of Famer, best offensive player in like 20 years. He was just never going to be the third wheel for forever. And on a, here's, here's on a smaller note, the Bucks last year. So I, Brogdon wanted to leave because Brogdon said, I don't want to play off Bledsoe anymore, right? You, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, when you have this much young talent, there is a window because the young talent wants to keep growing outside of the construct of the team. Yeah. Right? That makes a lot of sense. And it's something the Nuggets haven't had to worry about because they haven't had an ego-filled locker room at all. Like, there's been no yeah. egos in this locker room for five years until Porter showed up. And again, this is not an indictment on Porter. When you have been the best basketball player in any gym that you've ever been in, you deserve to have somewhat of an ego. But at the yeah. same time, like that is a whole new issue that Denver now has to find their way through and they haven't figured it out yet. And that's where we get to the poll between Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Through game five of the jazz series. So those first five games, guess how many times Murray passed to Porter total passes. Oh my God. That's, a, that's an incredible statistic. I want to yes. hear this. I have no idea. Three times. Okay. Three times, and this is Listen, the thing. It's Porter gotten... starting all those games. No, not all of he them. He started in all those. Games. <laughs> so how is it even possible? He's the point guard. I don't know. All, to, to Jamal's credit, they run two-man game with Nikola Jokic until the sun dies. So there is sure. a little bit of that. And Jamal hasn't always been great at reversing the court to the wing because that's a tough pass for him to make, especially going to his left. So that's something he still hasn't quite. Ma- but again, three. There's something clearly. Is that going. A, where'd you get that stat from? Matt Moore sent stat. it to me from NBA.com. He had the he had the total oh, touches. It's, it's, it's on adv- M- NBA Advanced Stats. Yeah. You can see who passes to who. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a great statistic. I looked that up. That's it was amazing. nuts when I when I saw this. Like it, my mind is blown right now. I'm, I was mind blowing. And I like jokingly said five when he texted me like, "Hey, guess what?" And I was like, uh, five. And he said three, and I like my jaw dropped. But this is the thing: Can you build around? Two guys who love pull-up jump shots off the dribble from similar places on the floor. Can that work? Do you think the question is, like, can one of them be Clay, right? That's yeah, but I don't think right? either or, – or even can one of them be Bosch? Because in, in the Michael Porter role, like, he wouldn't be Clay as much as he would be Chris Bosch, in my opinion. Like, you need him to do mm, more things than just that. And I don't see a chance in hell. Porter's like, oh, that's what I've been waiting to do. I think, you can, I think it'll work next year. Because that'd be year two, he'd be starter, whatever, get his numbers. 
Year three, if they're winning a championship. Year four is probably done. So I'd say two years. Wow. <laughs> that, that roller coaster of it works well, win championship, everything falls apart, really fits the Dirk, like Jokic comparisons between the Mavericks and the Nuggets. So that's very yeah. funny to me. But give some people some, some perspective because we spoke about this two years ago about you comparing Nicola to Dirk and what you mm-hmm. see comparison, not just on the court, but off the court and their demeanors and how you have to build around them. What have you seen yeah. from your experience with both guys now? So I guess I would start with the comparison that Dirk came into a team that already had good established talent around him. I remember, so Dirk came, comes in, they already have Michael Finley, which I'm sure Nuggets are going to remember, but Michael Finley was an all-star for like two or three times, 22 points a game, six, seven wing. And it was always like, this is Michael Finley's team. I remember, I remember I saw Nicole Aston quote about how this is like Millsap's team. And I was like, oh, that's Dirk right there. Yeah. This is a seven-footer. Because, like, I guess Nicole, even more than Dirk, a seven-footer who doesn't really know quite how good he is at the time. Very unselfish European player, team player. And it was like, okay, no, he's coming into this NBA team. He's establishing himself. And everyone else around him is like, oh, my God, this guy's incredible. And he doesn't totally see it yet. And so then it's like, well, okay, I am the best player. And it takes, like, three or four years to, for him to realize it. So Dirk didn't realize he was the best player until Nash left. Dirk was like 25. And it was always Nash's team, Finley's team, the Nash's team. And then it was like, wait a minute, I'm seven feet tall. I can shoot from anywhere. Nobody can stop me. I can score at will anytime I feel like it. And, oh, I guess it's my team now because I can score every time I get the ball. And I feel like with Nicola, he's not a you – know, obviously he's a passer first guy. But would you say he's the best post scorer in the NBA? I would say you could argue with him against anybody. Like I would say that like Demonis Sabonis is high on that list. I would say that Joel Embiid from just Nicola's just power. bigger than him. Though. Nicola's bigger, and he has the footwork of both. So like that's the and reason I give it to him. And I would I give Nicola over Embiid. Even he's I think he has better footwork than Embiid. I think Embiid just bullies guys more than yeah. Nicola has all the moves sure. too. Right. So he's the number one post scorer in the league, and the league gets smaller than ever, which means Nicola can score anytime he really feels like it. Right? Like, if you give yeah. him the ball one-on-one, he can always score just about. Yeah. So it's like learning to leverage that skill. I think even more than he does now, it's like – and I think that was what – when I was talking to you about this a couple of years ago, is the idea of the Mavs never got Dirk to be this incredible scorer until they cleared out the roster, until they played guys who were defensive-minded guys. Because also, too, if you're a big guy, sometimes you got to get the ball back. You post it the first time, you pass it out, then you repost the ball comes back to you. I just felt like, and I think even now, sometimes Nicola, once the ball leaves, yeah. it may not necessarily come back to him, right? So there, there was that element of it. And I always thought too, with Dirk, because the Mavs always played offensive players, like it's insane to think about this. So Steve Nash, I mean, arguably, I don't know, he's probably a top five point guard of all time, yeah, right? Yeah. Most offensively gifted point guard in like a long time, Yeah. right? The architect, seven seconds, seven seconds or less, two of MVP, you know, probably a proto Steve, proto Steph Curry in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Proto Trey Young, right? Incredible offensive player. Blah 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 blah. Right? Hall of Famer. Steve Nash leaves the Mavs. The Mavs do not get worse at offense. Yeah. Think about that. That's actually that's really how good insane. Dirk was. That's how good Dirk was at offense. It didn't even matter. So that year when it flipped, that was that the year when Dirk's usage like popped way up. It went from like twenty three yes. to like thirty. I forget the exact progression, but it was like, so Nash left next year, Avery Johnson comes in. And that's the year that kind of, it was like Dirk, Josh Howard, Jerry Stackhouse, Devin yeah. Harris. And so they lose to Nash the first time, 2005. 2006, when they beat Nash, scored the finals. 2007 is the MVP year. Yeah, it was like a steady growth from like 23 to 31 over like four years. So what changed mentally for him? Was it just, I have no choice because we don't have as many offensive players? Or was it something else that led to his shift in mindset? It was, it was, I, it was I want to win and we have no choice. Like there is yeah, a series. That's what I figured. So he lost to the Suns the first time. The next year he beats the Spurs, which I think arguably is one of the forgotten great games ever. He goes into San Antonio, game seven on the road, overtime. They're down one with 10 seconds, down two with 10 seconds left in overtime. Gets to the rim and one Ginobili wins. Drops 35 on Tim Duncan. The next round against the Suns, he drops 51 on the Suns in like game five. Because like we got to win right now. There's no other options. I'm just going to score at will because they can't stop me. And that was like, okay, now he's dirt, right? It was just like, we got to win. 
right? I feel like with even with Jokic, right? He's the one guy the Clippers can't guard. Yeah. The Clippers can't really guard him, right? Yeah, hundred percent. They just can't. Well, they're just sending double so. teams on the catch at this point, just like desperately yeah. trying to get him to go anywhere else with the ball. So when yeah. they do that, though, Nicole, like you said, the ball is not coming back. And what I'm curious about is the personality difference from Dirk, from the, the Nash years to after the Nash years when he did take on that bigger role. Was there a personality okay, so shift, too? I would say the big shift for that was after We Believe. So okay. before We Believe, it was still kind of like – This is before still, the infamous like shoe in the wall? Okay, yes. cool. So Dirk, and I guess, and to be to be clear, like the Dirk Jokic thing only goes so far because Dirk learned a post game at like thirty. So when I was seeing Dirk scoring at will, Dirk was a seven foot guard. He was like KD mm-hmm. almost. And then the We Believe series, that's when Don Nelson said, "Okay, I know Dirk's a guard. I'm putting guards on him because he can't post these guys up." He loses that series. He kind of has to realize I have to add the post game to my game too. And then after that, that's when Jason Kidd comes, and that's when Dirk decides, like, okay, Kidd, I think was really helpful for Dirk. So Kid and Dirk pushed on Avery Johnson. So, but that's the year after we believe they lose to the, they lose to the Hornets the year after we believe, which is a forgotten series, whatever. And I think they had traded for Kid that in the middle of the season. Kid comes there for like two months and is like, Dirk, Avery's just not good enough, man. Like we got to win a championship. This isn't going to happen. And that's when Dirk was like, okay, you're right. I have to assert myself on this team. I have to tell them what to do. Cause like, you know, Dirk, these kind of these elite, elite, elite players, they know the game. They know what I have to do. Yeah. You know, it's a funny – here's another funny story. So this is their deep math lore. So the one year they missed the playoffs for Dirk, it's the year they had O.J. Mayo and Nick Collison. Or Darren Collison, sorry. Darren Collison. It's a terrible okay. team. Yeah. And it comes out like the end of the year, Cuban tells us, in training camp, Dirk just calls him one day and is like, this isn't good enough. We're not going to do it. This team sucks. And we don't, I mean, we don't know. We're media guys, right? Yeah. And it's like, this team was like a 40 win team because these guards aren't good enough. And it's like, Dirk knew that after like two weeks of practicing with him, right? <laughs> he's like, the, play, the great players know the deal. And Dirk's like, okay, I'm a great player. I, I see the game. I have to like let them know what has to happen now. But that didn't happen until he was like 29 or 30. And that's what everybody that are Nuggets fans and the Nuggets organization is hoping Nicola will step up into. I have not seen anything that tells me Nikola Jokic would do that yet. And that's why I ask about the personality differences and what changes potentially on the outside as opposed to just on the court. You know what has to happen for that is like a lot of losing. Yeah. Like and a that's lot of losing in the playoffs, coming up short, getting blasted in the media, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's starting to happen now. And I wonder now that the Nuggets do have so many free agents, if this is the offseason where Nicole is like, listen, man, like the Clippers, we just played them as, be- as best as we could. And they just absolutely smacked us. Like, what are we going to do to fix this? And I, I still- How old is he now? Nicola is 25. Nicola. I want to say 25, maybe 24. Yeah. Um, I, I would say probably two more years, three more years, probably. If the dirt timeline is accurate. Yes. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see because Nicola is also so, so still, um, he's still European basketball, basketball minded. Like he doesn't care. He wants to play basketball, like give him the best yeah. team to play with. And that's all he wants to do is just go play basketball. This is why I like, same thing with Giannis, right? Yeah. Same thing with Giannis. hundred percent. That's why when we were texting, I believe it was yesterday, the day before or whatever it was. And I was like, we'll see if Nikola Jokic retires before we get to this point. Like I tr- like, this is not like a, like a small thing. I truly wonder if Nikola Jokic just gets fed up with the bullshit of the NBA. And they're like, I'm going to go play Serbian basketball and I'm going to play in the Olympics. I'm going to play Eurobasket. I'm going to hang out with my horses. And I, that he's so much of that kind of a guy that I don't know if we'll ever see him step into this um, personality role that Dirk has kind of taken over that mantle. Well, even then though, Dirk was always still like, even when Dirk was that, it was still kind of kid was the enforcer of the team when they won the championship. Right, Kid was the guy keeping Deshaun Stevenson in line. Karan Butler was huge for that too. Like, yeah, Dirk was never like the raw raw guy. That's probably never going to happen. But he was the when it had to have happened, he put his foot down. But also, he was able to be the franchise face. Like, he was able to have those conversations with the media and be able to like explain what he needs from the team. And like, I did that. Was that always there? Was he also? Was he always? No. no. He was super quiet. It took a long time. Interesting. And there's a lot more parallels off the court than on the court for both of them, which is actually really unique considering how unique they each are and they still carry the same similarities. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything else on the Dirk Jokic thing that maybe we didn't get to that was on your your mind? Well, I think, I think, I guess the biggest, biggest picture thing is what we were talking, it's just the idea of Dirk was at its best, had his best when he was playing with like defensive grinders. Mm -hmm. Because like he knew I could score when I need to. 
So that championship team, they started Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion, Jason Kidd. That's three elite defenders, crazy tough guys, super unselfish, bond to the system, bond to the roles. And like Dirk had three, I mean, he had three, not, they weren't even, I don't even say goons the right word, but he had three tough guys who could play basketball and didn't take yeah. any nonsense. And I feel like that, to me, like, if you have three-plus defenders, then a guy like Dirk or Jokic, it's okay. I think it's the idea of the synergy. Or, like, if I have a Dirk, a Jokic, I have an all-time great offensive player, especially seven-footer, I just want to get as many great defenders around them, and I'm going to count on them to win ugly basketball. Because I know – I think the other thing, too, I guess one thing different that Dirk had is Dirk could score at 22, 23 feet like it was a five-footer. So, like, he didn't have to have very good spacing around him. I don't know if Nikola might need better space than Dirk did. Like, he's a little more of a low post guy. And that right? was where I, we lead into the Ben Simmons part of your article, which I yeah. wonder how the spacing happens with that. And also, I wonder just how the way that the NBA has shifted since, since the Mavs won their series also shifts the way that you build a team. Because when Denver has, like, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, and Torrey Craig on the floor together – everything falls it doesn't apart. work yeah it just the Clippers it, it, series yeah it's just not working they lost the game two days ago in game in game four in the third quarter when gary harris got his fourth foul and malone put tory craig not michael porter jr in and they just completely fell apart with that Millsap grant craig lineup in there um yeah. but let's let's roll that into this idea of who the hell would you even get in this day and age to be able to get good defenders around nicola because i don't think there's a whole long list of guys out there that fit this mold because you need true three and d guys and you need a jeremy grant which they have the jeremy grant yeah. portion i don't think that you can find a shooting guard or small forward that fits this bill that isn't either incredibly overpriced for what they bring to the table or good enough to give you enough of that stability from that side i mean i guess it makes you appreciate like clay thompson right? exactly like, like they don't it grow makes you appreciate how incredible a clay thompson is that he's six seven it is like I feel like the more I the more I watch these playoffs, the more I appreciate guys like Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, what they did at mm-hmm. Golden State. I, I think maybe that's another way to look at it too. Is like if Nikola is your Steph Curry, well, Steph needed a freaking army around him on defense. Mm-hmm. He had Iguodala, Draymond, Clay. I mean, KD at the end, but let me have the KD team. That was such a freakish team. But just that first team, it was Iguodala, Draymond, Clay, Livingston, Barnes. Right, that's a freaking army of wings. Yeah, and like I think again the, against LeBron, they all guard LeBron at some point, right? Well, they just switched everything and so contained. That's, that's, that's the other part of it too. Is this idea of like we're seeing what Kawhi's doing to the Nuggets? So if the Nuggets want to win a championship, I mean Kawhi's still hanging around. LeBron's ageless. KD is going to be back. Giannis at some point will get a good team around him. There's that part of it too. Is like how do you contain that six ten free? Right, like if you look at the last ten years of the NBA. KD, LeBron, Kawhi have won nine of ten titles. Yeah. And the Warriors won one. So it's like that's the other thing too. Is like if you want to build a championship team, it is going to be hard because you've got these six ten wings. I get. I guess here's my question for you: In three years of Nikola Porter Murray, who's going to be the best defensive player in three years of that? <laughs> um, I'm going to say Michael Porter Jr. out of just pure luck, just because he's gargantuan. Like that's kind of been his defensive thing is I'm huge. And if I just get there on time, I tend to be impactful. So I, I'm going to say Porter, but that's just because there's not other good options on the board. That's, that's more yeah. of an indictment on the Nuggets as a whole than it is a benefit to Porter in my eyes. Well, just with the, of those three, like, Okay, so let's start, let's start one by one. Like, Murray, where can he be defensively? How can he get better defensively? He has he to be stronger. What's, what's he has gotten with? stronger. What he needs to yeah. figure out how to do is increase his foot speed, which you can't do. Like, he doesn't yeah. have that level of quick twitch burst that a lot of guys do to defend the point of attack. And that's just really the biggest issue. And there's no rim protection because Nicola, which I'm sure we're about to get to, cannot erase mistakes for teams like this. Yeah. So you have – I guess that's the thing, too. When we were talking about Barton starting, if you're going to start Jamal Barton, Porter on the perimeter, that's why I don't know you can trade Gary Harris. You've got to have someone to guard the ball. Well, this is why – this is my – Are you going to Barton to do it? Well, my take also is that, like, I don't know if you can win playing two small guards like Gary Harris and Jamal Murray in your backcourt anyway. There's that, too. There's um, that but at too. the same yeah. time, I've always wondered if the if Jamal Murray never actually hits that level, if the future of this team is Gary Harris as the pseudo point guard, like the Patrick Beverly point guard. 
I've always wondered that makes if sense. that's exist. You can be a Patrick Beverly type. And, I can, but I can see but it requires Nikola Jokic taking more control than he's ever been willing to take of this team. And that's always going yeah. to hold this back because Gary Harris can't create offense for you. Like, I love the dude to death, but he can't be a guy you throw the ball to yeah. and say, use a screen and go create something great. I just don't see yeah, yeah. that working. So I, I don't know. These are the questions that are unanswerable for the Nuggets, and they haven't been answered in the playoffs. And that's a massive concerning thing because you would think that now that they've played now four teams, one who is a true contender, some of these questions would be able to at least have some insight. I would say if you're Denver, I think the goal next year should be to win 60 games and get the one seed. That way you can avoid these teams till the third round, right? That should be the goal to me. Because, I mean, with the offense they have, right, isn't that conceivable? They can yeah, of course. Games? Oh, 100%. So if they do that, then you're avoiding the Lakers and you're avoiding the Clippers till round three. And then, if we're being honest, you're hoping one of those guys breaks down, right? You're hoping Kawhi and LeBron one of them breaks down or something. Get to round three. Because if you're, if you're the first seed, maybe you're playing Utah in round two. Yeah. And then you're playing some – right? That, to me, is the goal for now. If you're going to have all these offensive Beating up guys, Memphis in the first round would be a cakewalk for Denver. Yes. If you're going to have all these offensive guys win a lot of regular season games and get an easier draw. That's the first step probably for now. That's a really good point. And it's also completely opposite of what they said at media day to start this season. They were like, we don't care about the regular season. It's a 110 game series season. We're going to get ready for the playoffs. That is what we care about. And it's just for one thing. Y'all are so young. Like y'all can do both. You're a bunch of young guys. What are you trying, but you're at the freaking Lakers. You know, I agree. Like, hot, like, well, what's interesting is the nuggets have all this depth and all these young players and all these great talents. They are so fragile in their roster construction. Jamal Murray is one ankle turn away from going down and Denver having one point guard. Gary Harris goes down. They are just completely out of perimeter defenders again. Will Barton has now had two injuries in back-to-back sure. seasons, which has eliminated them. Paul Millsap has now had back-to-back seasons where injuries have taken him out. Think, is, does that go with him not spending a lot of money? Right? I think They're just so. not yeah, that's part of it. Right? I also think another part of it too is that they haven't invested in facilities. Like they have one cryo chamber. No, no G League team, right? No G League team. Still? So, like, those things also don't help. Like, what, screw the free agent pitches and getting guys in here. How are you going to keep yeah. the guys here happy if you're not look investing? Look at Miami, right? Look exactly. At, look at Miami does. They're G League team. And not only the G League team, just their facilities. Nobody trains like the Miami Heat. I know the whole cliche Miami Heat culture, but like there's a reason that exists. And it's because they put everything they can into getting those guys ready to play at the best level they possibly can. While we're talking about getting guys at the best level they can, what have been your thoughts on Michael Malone in the playoffs? I just think right now Malone is in culture mode and not win mode. Like, Mm. if you're playing Millsop this much, you've got to be, that's got to be a culture move, right? Like, he's just not been good. I also don't think that they have a well from the Malone. If I put my Malone hat on, it's Michael yeah. Porter Jr. will get targeted over and over again. So I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna stick with Millsap because he's the trusted veteran. He's played he 130. I guess he's not getting targeted, but he's not looking good. I mean, he's, he's not getting targeted. But when the weak side actions reverse around and suddenly Paul Millsap is the guy either tagging the roller or getting to the corner, then you're screwed anyway. So like, it doesn't really help yeah. you. Um, so I, I don't get that. It's very interesting you say that, though. Still in culture mode, not in win-now mode. So many Nuggets fans have been screaming this in terms of he's, not, he's your Mark Jackson, not the Steve Kerr. That's the lazy example people love to throw around. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with it. I think he's much, 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 much better than Mark Jackson, and he's gotten better as he's gone, and maybe he could be the guy. But is, have you seen coaches transition from that, from being culture guys? That's to a good question. I would say Spo. Spo got That's a lot a better. That's a great one. Right? Because I, I feel like for sure in the 2011 – so here's a good example. 2011 finals, Mavs heat. I, I mean, I don't know if people remember this. They remember Berea starting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure people remember that part, that Carlisle started Berea after the series. Spo didn't take out Mike Bibby on game six. So Spo let Berea eat up Mike Bibby for two games. Like, that's just like a simple little thing. That's so important in a finals – in a big-time playoff series. And now supposedly, you know, elite in-game coach, obviously. So that's an example of a guy who went from culture to, to winning. I don't know how common that is. I have to look back into that. Yeah, I don't think it's very common, but I also think that Spo is the kind of example that Michael Malone can follow, though, as a head coach. Is that, like, they're yeah. both grinders. They're both players' first guys. They develop relationships with their players. They are de- developmental at their core in terms of skills and on-the-court work. There is a That's a very similar thing that I, I had not thought of Spo and Malone in the same vein before, but they've both also yeah. coached a lot of stars and LeBron and D-Wade and Shaq and all of these different guys like there's a lot 
to that. And I think that that actually fits better than I originally imagined. So that I was- guess I'm not, I'm not thinking about two with Spell and Malone, right? Neither one of them played in the NBA, but they're both, they're, it's just hard to do. They're both such like, I guess confident. I don't even know the right word for it. Like they command respect despite yes. not being players. That's not very common. That's, that's just force of personality, I guess. I also think it's the whole sports thing of they've both earned it. Like Malone was the son of a coach who fought his way through everything to be able to get to this point. And on the opposite side, you have Spo, who was a video coordinator. Like he had to work his way from the very, yeah, very, very, true. very bottom. So they're both grinders. They like, were uh, not, not skipping steps like some, I don't know, the Nets coach. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get your shot in. You had to get that one. I appreciate it. <laughs> But but they do. Like, Michael Malone worked at Foot Locker to pay for his free coaching gig that he got to get his career. Oh, wow. Started. That's a crazy story. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, Malone has done everything. Like, Malone – here's another funny part of that story. He had his application in to be a state trooper to work his way into being a okay. Secret Service agent. Like, that was his goal away from basketball. The rest of his family wow. that aren't basketball guys have done, like, military police work and stuff like he that. He has that. He ha- he's got cop energy. Not in a bad way, but he does. Yes, but he's got the assertiveness cop, enger- uh, cop yeah, energy for, for sure. sure. But, yeah, he, w- he had to literally drop out of the academy and go coach for free and work at Foot Locker to be able to get his start in coaching. And that's when Stan Van Gundy found him and gave him his first chance based on the recommendation of his father, who coached with Stan. Okay, all, now that you mentioned that, this might be something, too, where having a veteran, like having – so Jason Kidd obviously not been a great coach, but he was huge for that Mavs team. So Kidd and Dirk told Carlisle to start Deshaun Stevenson for the playoffs. They said, we're going to need a big 3-and-D wing at two. Because Carlisle was messing around starting, like, Roddy Bobois and Jason Terry. And like, they're like, the backcourt's too small. We need a big two-guard, especially if we're going to play, like, the Lakers and all these teams, the Thunder. So they got him. To, that's, a, that's a thing where having veterans helps. Having veterans who've been through the playoff wars, understand matchups, you know what I mean? Right? Like, someone like LeBron, like, he's the, if Vogel doesn't make the right move, LeBron going to make it for him. He's going to tell him. Right, I don't think the Nuggets guys are at that level yet where they can see matchups enough to the point where they know what to do. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good point because you have to be on the court in some ways. Like, you have to be able to see it from that yeah. perspective. And I don't know if Denver has any voices like that. Jamal Murray has grown into that. We'll see if it sticks. Um, I do wonder, though, the You assistant- know what's funny? You say, you say see it, it's feel it. I think that's, that's what being on the court, you feel it. Yes. You feel the size. Like, We've got to have some size against that side. You just feel it. That's what um, I, I was doing a story on Bogdan a couple of years ago. Bogdanovich, the Kings guy. Yeah. And him and Luca are close. And I remember I asked him about what, he, what him and Luca talk about. He says, I always tell Luca, come here over here as soon as you can, because then you feel these NBA guys. You feel their size and you understand about the weight room. You don't really get that watching on film. You come and you come to the league and you feel it and you know. It's so interesting because Matt Moore and I have all, this is going to sound so fucking bizarre to you, I'm sure, but not to people who listen to this show, but we've always argued, is Nikola Jokic a supercomputer or is he a bird? Is he all instincts or is he running these equations constantly in his head? Interesting. And Interesting. So where do you fall on that? I, fall on so that I used to be the supercomputer side. I've slowly transitioned into Jokic as a bird and he just goes as the I, way he should. I think that's right. Yeah, so what, that's right. what that does though is that when you're, when you're entirely playing off of a star player's feet, how does the coach's input off a statistical analytical background impact that decision making for Jokic and it's so interesting because you're getting completely different places from where you're starting one analytical all from film all from what they've seen not from what they feel and Nikola Jokic all instincts which bleeds into the rest of the roster that he is then playing with so I wonder how that contrast works for guys in terms of how you adjust I think think it goes back to lived experience I think Nikola is going to want to do it his way on the court until he sees he can't work anymore, right? Yeah. And then he'll learn from the lived experience and move on from there. That'd be yeah. my eyes look at it. That's the prove it kind of thing in the NBA for sure. Yeah. Um, wow. We've hit a lot of interesting topics and I've kept That was kept a fun you... conversation for sure. That was definitely fun, but I've kept you here yeah. for too long and the Nuggets play very, very shortly. So I am going to have to close this one out, but Thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking the time to sit down and talk about some hoops with me. Um, please. Yeah, thanks pl- for having me on. The Nuggets are like, 
the most fascinating team in the league, I think, in the next couple of years. If not the most, one of the top two or three, for sure. We're going to so either watch, watch a spectacular happen. disaster or a title in the next three years. And I'm not sure which we're going to get, but one of the two is very likely on the horizon, in my opinion. Hopefully, you, you guys would have watched these games so this TV thing works out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. But please plug everything you can for everybody to find your work. Um, yeah, Ringer. So we're doing we're doing like a Ringer playoff blog. So I usually blog first thing in the morning about games the night before. And then we have Ringer NBA show. I'm on Wednesdays with uh, Justin Barrier, Rob Mahoney, and usually a guest. And then just articles whenever. So yeah, Ringer NBA blog and Ringer NBA show. Awesome. Thank you again, man. It was a ton of fun. And I hope we can talk yeah, again soon. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are finally coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, you get NFL Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so you never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use your promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off of your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. That is promo code BLUEWIRE in all capital letters. Thank you guys all again for sticking around and listening to this show, for supporting it, for sharing it, for leaving five-star reviews on iTunes, for leaving me comments, for sharing it on social media, all of that stuff. This show does not exist without you guys, the listeners, all of those Nuggets fans out there who have given me the time of day to talk about hoops and to listen for some damn reason, because for some reason people listen to me talk about basketball. But regardless of that insanity in its own right, seriously, thank you everybody who takes part in this podcast and helps it exist in the way it does. Also, special, special thanks for Jonathan Jarks of the Ringer for taking time to come and talk to me for like an hour about the Nuggets and the Mavericks and having a damn good time while doing it. Um, really one of the most enjoyable times I've ever had on this podcast interviewing somebody, and I hope that you guys got to learn from it the same way that I got to learn while recording it, because there was so much to take away from this show, in my opinion. Also, thank you to DoorDash. Thank you to NFL.SundayTicket or NFLSundayTicket.tv. Thank you to Bet Online. Thank you to all the Blue Wire podcasts that allow me to continue to do what I do and allow all of us to continue to grow. Thank you to all of the listeners. And please, please, please keep staying safe. Keep wearing a mask. Enjoy the Nuggets playoffs. I'll have another podcast coming out after game five, which is going to take place here in like five hours. But we'll talk to you guys then. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to uh, to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all of the odds, the futures, and props to bet on, and they're all available 24/7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion. Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. Also, remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE when to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, spelled B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.